Well, welcome to Fur Road. Uh, my name is Dan Tony. I've been preaching here in, in, uh, uh, at Fur Road in April. It'll be eight years. And uh, please believe me when I say it is an honor uh, for you to be here today. And uh, it's a big day in our country, right? Unofficial holiday, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I know we have at least one diehard Philadelphia Eagles family here, the Hildebrand, Hildebrands. They're sick today. So Brad couldn't even wear his, his jersey to church. But any other true Eagles fans out there? Uh, not really. Yeah. Uh, any Patriot fans? Okay, a few of you. Um, how many of you want just somebody to win other than the Patriots? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> how many of you uh, think Tom Brady's still pretty hot even though he's 40 years old? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Some man crushes out there, sweet. Yes, I'm with you. Uh, how many of you could care less who wins or couldn't care less? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, how many of you will be watching the Super Bowl for the commercials, the best commercials? Yeah, quite a few. You are not alone. Did you realize that uh, they did a poll and 58% watched the Super Bowl for the game, 46% watch it for the commercials? So, uh, Some other stats about the Super Bowl. Uh, ads this year for a 30-second ad is $5 million, okay, that's a record. Um, about 110 million people will watch the game in this country, and another about 50 million people around the world will be watching. Uh, last year, consumers spent about $14 billion on the Super Bowl, so it is a big deal. Um, so there you go. I'll be rooting for the Eagles, I guess, but I, I don't really have a dog in the fight, uh, so, um, but... It, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I, I appreciate Tom Brady, too, and what he's done for all these years. So that I'm kind of Tom Brady fan. But, okay, I am especially glad that you're here today because we're wrapping up this series we've been going through called Pictures of Grace. And I think it's going to be a special Sunday. Uh, just to clarify, the rocks that you are given today uh, are not for the purpose of stoning the preacher if you don't like my sermon, Okay. <laughs> All right, so have some grace on me. I'm fragile. Okay, don't hurt me, please. Um, and so I'll let you know a little bit later what's going on with the rock. So just put them down or hang on. Well, yeah, maybe set them down on the ground just so you don't have any urges. So we, we've been talking about what an incredible thing God's grace is over the, the past three weeks. We've seen God's grace all throughout the Bible going back to, to Adam and Eve and the need for grace then and uh, then leading up to the time of Jesus. Uh, the Greek word in the New Testament that is usually translated grace is charis. And the typical definition of grace is simply unmerited favor, okay? But, but let's talk about that for a minute, okay? What does unmerited favor mean? Um, favor is something good, right? When somebody helps you, uh, they're they smiling down on you. We, we often think about this word when, when someone does us a favor, right? Hey, will you do me a favor? And sometimes when somebody asks us to do a favor, depending on who it is, we're kind of afraid that, to answer that question, right? Uh, you know, if we have a bad attitude about it, it's like, oh, man, what, what are they going to ask me to do? Uh, but if you really love someone, you agree to the favor even before you know what it is, it, Right, guys? Okay. You know, if your wife asks you to do something, that's when you say, sure, honey. 
anything you want for you because I love you, right? That, that's the right answer, okay? It is not the, what do you want me to do? And I'll think about it. Okay, that's not okay, right? Uh, I, I'd like to say I always have the first one. Sometimes my attitude slips down into the second one. But God's favor is, is, is like he's smiling down on us, okay, because of his love for us. Then you have the unmerited part. Um, I think it's good to think about in terms of what would merited favor be first. If you merit something, you earn it, right? Okay, if you're a Boy Scout, you earn different badges. You, you know, you have to do different things to earn that badge. Uh, a few years ago, I helped Eli and, and Wyatt DeGruson earn their God and Me badge for Boy Scouts. And uh, they had to go through a workbook I went through with them about the basics of Christianity. And so they earned their badge. They merited it. You earn or merit things all through your life, okay? You, you merit a, a pay, pay raise or a, a promotion at, at your job. Uh, or on an athletic team, you, you earn your starting spot or being a, a team captain or, or the first chair in the band. And those are things you work towards. If it is unmerited, you didn't do anything to deserve it. And in real life, we often get upset when someone gets something that they didn't really earn, right? And hey, they didn't earn that raise or they didn't earn that promotion. And we often say, that's not fair, right? That, you know, why did they get that? They didn't earn it. So you up the stakes about a million times when you're talking about eternal life. And what we have earned is death because sin separates us from God. And, and so that's what we've actually earned. And it ultimately leads to spiritual death. And so God's grace is about granting favor to us even though we haven't earned it. And He could offer us that unmerited favor because of His unconditional love to us through Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. And so that's kind of grace in a nutshell. Let me share a story of grace that I came across this week to kind of help you visualize what I'm talking about. Uh, you dog lovers out there are going to especially appreciate this story. There was an owner of a, a purebred chocolate lab who had a litter of puppies. He posted the puppies on Facebook, and, and one of the puppies captured the heart of many visitors, uh, both in, in, on Facebook and in person. And they, they named him Flash. And Flash had looks and, and personality, and uh, I don't know if this is actually Flash, but, but it is a, a, a dog, so um, that's cute, right? Uh, and so uh, the Flash just kind of had this charm about him, but he remained or available until the owners got a call. A Facebook viewer had seen photos of a friend of the owner holding Flash along with her comments expressing her wish to win the lottery so she could buy him because the price of Flash was $700. So the man on Facebook offered to buy Flash for the owner's friend anonymously. He didn't even know her. Okay, so, so the owner called his friend to share the good news with her. And the owner said to his friend, we got a call and Flash has been bought. And the friend said, oh, that's great. He, you know, he's an awesome dog. And, and the owner simply said, no, he's been bought for you. And there's silence. And then, then sputtering and in, in denial. What? Who? How, no, I, I can't take him. No, no, that's a $700 dog. But the owner gently explained that Flash was paid for, that they weren't being denied payment. They were paid, but it was free to her. 
Someone else had paid what Flash was worth, not for himself, but on her behalf. And she hadn't done anything to earn that dog, but someone granted her unmerited favor. Okay, and so that's an example of grace. In, in a society that prides itself on, on a system of, of hardworking, deserved rewards, grace can be hard for some of us to, to wrap our minds around. Okay, when something seems better than expected, we, we want to know what the catch is, and you know it's too good to be true. We're skeptical, right? How could this thing be free? And so because many of us have that mindset, when it comes to our faith, we think surely we have to do something to earn our grace from God. Okay, and we carry these chains around us with a, 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 trying to be good enough for God. Okay, because we feel like God, surely he must be looking down on me, just waiting until I mess up and so he can punish me. And then many of us carry that same kind of mindset into how we look at others and how we think they should be treated. And we like to compare, right, our our, our works. We like to compare our sin to the works and our sins to others. And if our minds, we if in our minds we do more, um, for God, and their sins are worse than our sins, then we begin to judge them. And we begin to, at least in our minds, to, to cast stones at them and, and treat them differently. And we begin to justify ourselves by saying, well, you know, at least I'm not like them. Friends, this morning in, in our last picture of grace, we're going to see how Jesus treated somebody who was caught red-handed in sin. It's an amazing story of grace, one of my favorites in the Bible. We're going to see his grace in a very tangible way. And it's a, it's a familiar story to many of you. It's the story of the woman caught in adultery. It's from John chapter 8. Now you might notice in your Bibles a footnote that says this particular story was not included in many of the early manuscripts that have been found of the New Testament. And, and that's true. The early manuscripts do not include this story. But just because it wasn't included in the early manuscripts doesn't mean it isn't a true Jesus story. Uh, some scholars feel that it wasn't included in the earliest manuscripts because those who edited the text of the New Testament thought this was a dangerous story. Okay, a, a justification for a, a light view of adultery, and therefore they omitted it. Augustine believed that the story was removed from the text of the gospel because some were of slight faith and to avoid scandal. William Barclay, who wrote the, the Daily Study Bible Commentary, said, We may be sure that this is a real story about Jesus, although one so gracious that for a long time men were afraid to accept it. Uh, I believe the biggest reason it's true is that it fits with everything else about the life of Jesus. Okay, This doesn't depart from the kind of person that Jesus was. Now, the tendency is to, to read this story uh, and have kind of a pity party for the woman who was caught because it feels like it was a setup and it probably was but but realize that this is this story is not about making light of her sin okay her sin was real okay adultery destroys homes and, and families she was caught in adultery okay we can't forget that we don't know where the man was who was caught with her uh, if it was a trap he was probably set free, and, and it probably was, um, but obviously he was, would have been just as guilty as the woman, okay? And according to Jewish law, he could have died too for, for what he did. Um, but this story 
really is not about the particular sin. Okay, it's about the grace of Jesus. So, so don't get so uh, worked up about the injustice of the Pharisees that you lose sight of the grace of Jesus. Okay, so let's go ahead. We'll pick up the story. It's in John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, at this, those who, who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What an incredible story. Okay, first of all, you know, Jesus stop them again the the pharisees they right in their tracks they thought that no matter what answer he gave they're going to be able to back him into a corner and and jesus as he so often did just you know stopped him how did he do that but they had no choice but to to turn around and leave And, and and so as we ponder this story this morning i have some questions i want to ask you guys and and uh i hope that you'll even think about these questions this week and and that you'll just kind of let them kind of resonate with you. But um, some questions to consider. They're on the back of your bulletins if you want to fill them in. But some things to think about. What are some lessons that Jesus is teaching you right now? Okay, our, our story starts out with Jesus teaching in the temple courts like he so often did. And, and he would have been teaching in an area called the Court of Women. Uh, because this was as far as women were allowed to go in the temple to, to worship God. Uh, anybody in good Jewish standing could be in this area. Uh, this would have been the same area where Jesus overturned the tables, the money tables. Uh, Jesus was often called rabbi okay, by his followers. He wasn't an official rabbi as far as going through the, the Jewish rabbi training and being a temple rabbi. But often the term rabbi was used in a general sense as teacher at that time. And, and Jesus did a whole lot of teaching during his three years of public ministry. And uh, I would even call it maybe retraining. Um, You know, I think he did a lot of, you've heard it said, um, but I say this, as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount when we studied that. And and otherwise, uh, the official rabbis taught you this, but they're they're wrong, (laughs) really. Um, so, So here's what this really means, and then he'd go on to explain it. But old habits are hard to break, and, and old ways of thinking are tough, and, and it's hard to change your mindset. You know, he worked with the, these disciples. These 12 were kind of his core group for those three years, and, and they still struggled a lot of times to get it. And, and so I think a good question to continually ask ourselves as we think about Jesus the teacher is, is, what is, what is God trying to teach me right now? Okay, through the things that you're reading, in the Bible, through the things going on in your life, through other Christians, you know, what are you learning? Okay, how are you growing? 
You know, I, I really believe that Christians should be lifelong learners. Uh, but you have to kind of be intentional about that, okay? So you have to be in tune with what God is trying to, to say to you. So, so what are some lessons that Jesus is teaching you right now? And then consider this question. Who would you put on trial? Okay, we, we kind of try to look at the, just the, the lady's perspective here. But what if you were the Pharisee? Okay, sometimes we, we slip into that mode. And we need to ask ourselves, who am I doing that to? Uh, they, they brought her this woman, and, and, and we look at that and say, man, how, how could they do that? And we get mad at the Pharisees, and uh, their hearts are hardened, though. And, and, and we think, well, you know, how could they do this? Instead of ever looking at ourselves and, and, and thinking, man, I'm doing that too. And so I'm asking you to be honest with yourself this morning. Who would you put on trial? Who would you put in front of Jesus and say, well, Jesus, what are you going to do with them? Okay, look at their lives. They, they deserve to be stoned, don't they, Jesus? Maybe another way to ask it is, who have you become the judge of? Instead of looking in the mirror and, and dealing with your own shortcomings, who would you put on trial? So consider that. And then there's this question. What, what would Jesus write in the dirt about you? Okay, there's been a lot of speculation about what Jesus wrote in the dirt as they looked on, and, and, and we'll never know for sure. Many speculate that he was writing down the specific sins of the Pharisees. And, and, and so the, as they saw that, they were convicted about that. But here's another thought, and stay with me on this because I, it takes a little bit to develop, but um, I think it's really cool. Uh, the day before this event happened was the, uh, the most important day of what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was to commemorate the 40 days of wandering uh, in the, the desert by the Israelites. And so they would remember that every year. Um, and then so the chapter right before our chapter, so John chapter 7, in John 7, verse 38 and 39, it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Okay? Now, traditionally, on the last day of the feast, uh, the priest would leave the temple area, and he would go down to what was called the Pool of Siloam. And he uh, would take a jug with him, and this was considered to be living water, okay, at least symbolically. And so he would scoop up a jug of that water, and he would go back to the temple, and he would pour that water out on the altar. And so just to, to symbol life that comes uh, through God. Okay, so with that as the background, Jesus said, you know, if you believe in me, you're going to have streams of living water coming uh, from you. Okay, and, and so he's saying if you will have life eternally if you follow and believe him. All right. Okay, so kind of keep all the pieces together here. So I tell you that part of the story to tell you this part. Okay, so back, fast forward to, to our story. Uh, Jesus is writing the dirt. Now, Jesus often tied in Old Testament teachings or scriptures in his teachings. If you, there's all kinds of quotes throughout his ministry. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 17, verse 13, the prophet Jeremiah said this, Lord, you're the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. 
those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Isn't that cool? You see the connection there? I don't know. You know, is he tying into the, the, all the way back from Jeremiah saying that, you know, hey, he's re- referencing that because they have turned from God. When the true place of living water is going to come through Jesus, you know, we don't know for sure what Jesus wrote. But whatever Jesus wrote in the dust, it caused the onlookers to, to, to one by one drop their stones and walk away. And I'm sure they weren't happy about it, but they felt, you know, there's no other choice. I mean, he got us. But what would Jesus write in the dirt about you? As you were judging others. But then I want you to consider this question. Do you need to fully accept God's forgiveness? Okay, this passage isn't about condemning people, okay? It's not about condemning the Pharisees. Okay, this passage is about the fact that God's grace is for everyone. Okay, we don't know the rest of the story for this woman. What happened to her? Did she uh, uh, decide to follow Jesus? We, We don't know, okay? But one thing I do know is that many people struggle with fully accepting God's forgiveness because they just can't comprehend how God could really forgive them for everything they've done. And I think the reason so many people struggle with God's forgiveness is that they struggle to truly forgive themselves. Friends, please understand that when God forgives you, your slate is clean. It's gone forever. The penalty is paid, but it was paid by Jesus. Psalm 103.12 says, And as far as the sunrise is from the sunset, He has separated us from our sins. Think about that. Your slate is clean. It's gone. And so I ask you this morning, do you need to fully accept God's forgiveness, this grace that He has offered to us? And it might start with forgiving yourself. Allowing yourself. And then consider this question. What, what, what sins do you need to leave behind? You know, I briefly talked about this at the beginning. Jesus didn't just say, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. We all make mistakes. He said, no, I don't condemn you. Now go and change your life. Right? Okay. Leave that sin behind. I read this verse a couple weeks ago, but I want to read it again. It's John 1.14, and it just shows us how grace and truth go hand in hand. John 1.14 is, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's Jesus. We've seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. I love that. Jesus wasn't saying it's it's okay to sin, you know, it's not a big deal. And and God isn't saying, you know, you you need to give your sin over and you need to do this on your own. You just need to try harder and you'll be able to do it. No. Okay, if you could do it on your own, you'd already would have done it, right? Okay, so he's saying, "I, I, I will help you. I will walk with you through this. You don't have to do this on your own. God is in the business. You say it's impossible. God's in the business of doing the impossible. He can help you do this. 
But sin is a big deal. We need to first of all realize and say, admit, yes, it's not good. But God's going to help us to, to leave those sins in the past and move forward in a relationship with Him. And then finally, let me ask this. Do you need to drop some stones? Once again, Jesus said, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Okay, you know, it's a whole lot easier to carry some stones around with us, ready to, to throw them at people than to deal with our own stones, our own issues. But if you're truly going to be a funnel of God's grace, like we've been talking about during this series, you're going to have to drop some stones along the way. That's what grace is all about. It might be somebody you know and, and they've hurt you along the way. They've wronged you and you feel like you're letting them on the hook, off the hook if you drop those stones and forgive them. And it's hard. But that's what grace is all about. It might be a group of people that you really don't know personally, but you tend to group them together and, and, and you judge them. And, and in a way, you kind of put yourself on a pedestal uh, above them and, and you say, at least I'm not like them. No. It's time to drop the stones. So the woman caught in adultery is a, our, our biblical picture of grace this morning. But, but each week I've tried to kind of have a non-biblical picture or story of grace. Um, this morning I want to share the story behind the song, Amazing Grace. Okay, everyone knows that song, but you may not know the story behind it. It was written by a na- man named John Newton. And John was born into a, a ship captain's home. And his father was rarely there, but, but he and his mother had a very close relationship. She was a very godly woman who taught her son the scriptures and and prayed that one day he would become a preacher. But when John was still very young, his mother died, and immediately his life began to spiral downward. At the age of 11, he began sailing with his father, and he quickly became accustomed to the sea and made it his method of livelihood. He quickly took up the ways of the sailor. While he had some reservations at first, he soon became a fighter, a drinker, a whoremonger. He was the poster child for the phrase, cursing like a sailor. For a while, his mind couldn't let go of his mother's teachings, but he came in contact with another sailor who persuaded him to believe that there was no God, no hell, nothing except this life. And he latched on to this idea and actually made a bet with his new friend that he could talk another Christian sailor out of his faith and won. At the age of 18, he was forced into service on a British naval ship. He hated his time there and was basically a scoundrel. He was lazy. He was rambunctious. And eventually he was tried for desertion. His ship captain showed mercy on him, however, and instead of punishing him by death by hanging, he was sentenced to receive a hundred lashes with the cat of nine tails. He nearly died but was somehow spared. Soon after he recovered, he was able to get transferred to service aboard a slave ship and was enticed by the slave trade. He liked the money, he liked the freedom to take those African women and girls and make them his slaves in every way. He would make trips with his captain into the continent of Africa to trade and got caught up in voodoo and witchcraft. He was a vile man, an evil man, a wicked man. But finally he came to a point where it looked like all was lost. A storm took over the ship he was on and he was trying to guide the ship through the powerful wind and high waves. The others were, were below trying as best they could to bail the endless amount of water from the ship. He was losing hope. 
It looked like they were all going to die. And at the point of desperation, he cried out to God for mercy. He pled with God to get them out of the storm. But more than that, he begged God for forgiveness. And God again put his amazing grace on display. John eventually became the captain of his own slave ship. And he tried hard to treat the slaves as humanely as possible. He made rules that his crew could not take advantage of those slave girls anymore. He did his best to treat them as kindly as possible, but he finally came to the the place where he he realized he had to give up the slave trade altogether. And for the last 43 years of his life, John Newton preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and did much to aid in the efforts to finally banish the slave trade from Great Britain. At the age of 82, he went to meet his Savior. His tombstone reads, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. No wonder he understood grace so well, but the completely undeserved mercy and favor of God, a man who had once sold men and women into slavery became a freer of slaves. A man who had once been immoral became clean. A man who had once dissuaded men from their faith became a man who preached the gospel. A man who had once been a vile sinner became a forgiven child of God. No wonder he wrote, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He had experienced what it was like to be undeniably guilty. He had struggled so often with the judgment that he knew the law had passed on him, but he came to understand that God's unsearchable grace reached past all of that and offered to him the vilest of sinners forgiveness and pardon. That's a picture of grace. The truth is that we're all guilty before God. We can look at our lives and say, but you know, I've, I've never done anything like that. But the truth is that we are all guilty before God. But God said, it's okay. I love you. I forgive you. Go now and, and leave your life of sin. In a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And, and it's, a, it's a time each week where we, we remember the gift of God's grace through, through what Jesus did on the cross. It's a time to thank God for His grace that He's given us. And and we're going to do things a little differently this morning. Let me explain. You're going to have a chance to come up and drop your rock up here on the stage. So you can kind of hear the sound of letting go. It's hollow up here. And you see, God, that's what He did with us. He, He dropped the rock symbolically that He could have used to stone us for our sins. He took that rock and said, it's gone. You don't have to worry about it. I paid the price through Jesus. And I think all of us at times need to symbolically drop some rocks in in order to, to offer grace to those around us. And some of you need to drop the rock for yourself to say, okay, it's okay. I can forgive myself. time to drop some rocks and so after i pray when you're ready you can come up and uh, drop your rock on the stage and then you can take the the lord's supper Um, no hurry take your time if it's hard for you to to get up here and do that 
Uh, we have some guys that will have the communion trays. You can just raise your hand, and they will come to you. And, and so that's available as well. Listen to this passage about Jesus, and, and then I'll pray. Matthew 27, 27 through 31. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe. And they put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We don't deserve it. And I pray that you'll help us to, to understand that, that we don't have to, to hold on to those rocks whether it be in judgment of other people or if it's in judgment of ourselves, that, that, that it's time to just let go of those rocks and to accept your grace and to, to funnel that grace to others. Lord, help us to be able to do that. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. When you're ready, you can come up and drop those rocks and then take the Lord's Supper.